Hello, and welcome to the fourth episode of the second season for A Very Hairy Podcast. I'm your reader, Talon, and let's get started. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets by J.K. Rowling. Read to you by Talon. Chapter 4 at Flourish and Blots. Life at the borough was as different as possible from life on Privet Drive. The Dursleys liked everything neat and ordered. The Weasleys' house burst with strange and unexpected. Harry got a shock for the first time when he looked in the mirror over the kitchen mantelpiece, and it shouted, Tuck your shirt in, Scruffy! The ghoul in the attic howled and dropped and dropped pipes whenever he felt things were getting too quiet. And small explosions from Fred and George's bedroom were considered perfectly normal. What Harry found most unusual about life at Ron's house, at Ron's, however, wasn't the talking mirror or the clanking ghouls. It was the fact that everybody. It was the fact that everybody there seemed to like him. Mrs. Weasley fussed over the state of his socks and tried to force him to eat fourth helpings of every at every meal. Mr. Weasley liked Harry to sit next to him at the dinner table so he could bombard him with questions about life with muggles, asking asking him to explain how things like plugs in the postal service worked. Fascinating, he would say as Harry talked him through using the telephone. Ingenious, really, how many, how many ways muggles have found of getting along without magic. Harry heard from Hogwarts one sunny morning. One sunny morning, about a week after he had arrived at the borough, he and Ron went down to breakfast to find Mister and Missus Weasley, Mister and Missus Weasley, and Jenny already sitting at the kitchen table. The moment she saw Harry, Jenny accidentally knocked her porridge bowl onto the floor with a loud clatter. Jenny seemed very prone to knocking things over when Harry entered a room. She dived under the, under the table to receive the bowl and emerged, her face glowing like the setting sun. Pretending he hadn't noticed this, Harry sat down and took the toast Mrs. Weasley had offered him. Letters from school, letters from school, said Mrs. Weasley. Oh, letters from school, said Mr. Weasley, passing Harry and Ron identical envelopes in, of yellowish parchment addressed in green ink. Dumbledore already knows you're here, Harry. Doesn't miss a trick, that man. You two've got them, too. He added as Fred and George ambled in, still in their pajamas. For a few minutes, there was silence as they read their letters. Harry, Harry's told them to catch the Hogwarts Express extras as usual from, King, from King's Cross Station on September 1st. There was also a list of new books he'd need for the coming year. Second year students were required. The Standard Book of Spells, Grade 2, by Miranda Goshock. Break with, Break with the Banshee, by Gilderoy Lockhart. Gadding with Ghouls, by Gilderoy Lockhart. Holidays with Hags, by Gilderoy Lockhart. Travel with Trolls, by Gilderoy Lockhart. Voyages with Vampires, by Gilderoy Lockhart. Wandering with Werewolves by Gilderoy Lockhart. Year with the Yeti, Year with the Yeti by Gilderoy Lockhart. Fred, who had finished his own list, peered over at Harry. Peered o- over at Harry's. You've been told to get all Lockhart Lockhart's books too, he said. Look, new defense against the dark arts teacher teacher must be a fan. I bet bet it's a witch. At this point. Fred caught his mother's eye and quickly busied himself with some marmalade. That lot won't come cheap, said George with a quiet look at his with a quick look at his parents. Lockhart's books are really expensive. Well, we'll manage, said Mrs. Weasley, but she looked worried. I expect we'll be able to pick up a lot of Jenny's things second hand. Oh, you're starting at Hogwarts this year? He asked Jenny. She nodded, blushing to the roots of her flaming hair. 
and put her elbow in the butter dish. Fortunately, no one saw this except Harry, because just then Ron's older brother, Percy, walked in. He was already dressed, his Hogwarts prefect badge pinned to his sweater vest. Morning all, he said, brisk, said Percy briskly. Lovely day. He sat down in the only remaining chair, but leapt up again almost immediately, pulling from underneath him a, mal a melting gray feather duster. At least that's what Harry thought it was, until he saw that it was breathing. Errol, said Ron, taking the limp owl from Percy and extracting the letter from under his wing. Finally, he... Finally... He's got Hermione's answer. I wrote to her saying that we were going to try and rescue you from the Dursleys. He carried Arrow to to a pat perch just inside the back door and tried to stand him on it. Arrow flopped straight off again, so Harry lay him on the draining board instead, muttering, pathetic. Then ripped open then ripped open Hermione's letter and read it and read it out loud. Dear Ron and Harry, if you're there, I hope everything went well, went all right, and that Harry is okay, and that you didn't do anything illegal to get him out. And you didn't do anything illegal to get him out, Ron, because that would get Harry in trouble too. And I've, and I've been really worried, and I've been really worried. And if Harry is all right, will you please let me know at once? But perhaps, perhaps it would be better if you used a different owl, because I think another delivery might finish your. Because I think another delivery might finish your your one off. I'm very busy with schoolwork, of course. How can she be? Said Ron in horror. We're on vacation, and we're. And we're going to London next Wednesday to buy my new books. We're on vacation. And we're going to London next Wednesday to buy my new books. Why don't we meet in Diagon Alley? Let me know what's happening as soon as you can. Love from Hermione. Well, that fits nicely. We can go and get your things then, too. Said Mrs. Weasley, starting to clear the table. What are you all up to today? Harry, Ron, Fred, and George were planning to go up to the hill to play a small padlock. To play a small paddock of the Weasleys owned the hill. Harry, Ron, Fred, and George were planning to go up. Go up. To, to go up the hill to. To a small paddock the Weasleys owned. It was surrounded by trees that blocked. That blocked it from view of the village below, meaning they could practice Quidditch there, as long they didn't, as long as they didn't fight the ball. They couldn't use real Quidditch balls, which have been, which had been hard to explain, if they escaped and flown, and flown away over the village, instead, flown over the village. Instead, they threw apples to one, to one another to catch. They took turns riding Harry's Nimbus 2000, which was easily the best room. Ron's old shooting star was often outstripped by passing butterflies. Five minutes later, they were marching up the hill, broomsticks over their shoulders. They asked Percy if he wanted to join them, but he said he, had, but he, said he was busy. Harry had only seen Percy at mealtimes so far. He stayed shut up in his shut in his room the rest of the time. I wish I knew what he was up to, said Fred, frowning. He's not himself. His exam his exam results came the day before you did. Twelve OWLs and he hardly gloated at all. And he hardly gloated at all. Ordinary wizarding levels, George explained, seeing Harry's puzzled look. Bill got twelve, too. If we're not careful, we'll have another head boy in the family. I don't think I can... Sh I don't think I could stand the shame. Bill was the oldest of the Weasley brothers. 
and was the oldest Weasley brother. And the, and the next brother, Charlie, had already left Hogwarts. He and the next brother, Charlie, had already had already left Hogwarts. Harry had never met, met either of them, but he knew that Charlie was in Romania studying dragons, and Bill in Egypt working for the Wizards Bank Gringotts. Don't know how Mom and Dad are going to afford are going to afford all our school stuff this year," said George. After a while, five sets of Lockhart books. Jenny needs robes and a wand and everything. Harry said nothing. He felt a bit awkward. Sort stored underground. Stored in an underground vault in Gringotts in London, with a small fortune that his parents had left him. Of course, it was only. It was only in the wizarding world that he had money. You couldn't use galleons, sickles, or canuts in the muggle shops. He had never mentioned his Gringotts bank account to the Dursleys. He didn't think of, he didn't think their horror everything. He couldn't think their horror of anything connected with magic could would stretch to a large pile of gold. Mrs. Weasley woke them up all the f- early the following Wednesday after a quick half a dozen bacon sandwiches. After a quick after a quick half dozen bacon sandwiches each, they pulled on their coats. They pulled on their coats and Mrs. Weasley took a flower pot off the kitchen mantelpiece and peered inside. We're running low off we're we're running low, Arthur, she sighed. We'll have to buy some more today. Ah, well, guess first. After you, Harry, dear. She offered him some, him the flower pot. Harry stared at them, watching, stared, uh, Harry stared at them all, watching him. What, what am I supposed to do? He stammered. He's never traveled by flu powder, said Ron suddenly. Sorry, Harry, I forgot. Never, said Mrs. We- said Mr. Weasley. But how did you get the Diagon Alley to buy your school things last year? I went on the underground. Really? said Mr. Weasley eagerly. Were there escapators? How? Wait, were there escapita- escapitators? How? How exactly? Not now, Arthur, said Mrs. Weasley. Flu powder is a lot quicker, dear. Flu powder is a lot quicker, dear. But goodness me, you've never used it before. He'll be all right, Mom," said Fred. "Harry, watch us first. He took a pinch of glittering powder out of the flower pot, stepped up to the fire, and threw the powder into the flames. With a roar, the fire turned emerald green and rose higher, and rose and rose higher than Fred, who stepped right into it and shouted. Diagon Alley, and vanished. You must, you must speak clearly, dear," said Mrs. Weasley. Mrs. Weasley told Harry, as George dipped his hand into the flower pot. But be sure to get out the right, to get out the right, at the right rate. The right what? said Harry nervously as the fire roared and whipped George out of sight, too. Well, there's an awful lot of wizard fires to choose from, you know, but as long as you've spoken clearly... He'll be fine, Molly, don't fuss, said Mr. Weasley, helping himself to flu powder, too. But, dear, if he gets lost, if he got lost, how would we ever explain to his aunt and uncle? They won't mind. They won't mind, Harry reassured her. Dudley will think think it was a brilliant joke if I if I got lost up a chimney. Don't worry about that. Well, all right. After you you go after Arthur, said Mrs. Weasley. Now when you get in the fire get into the fire, say where you're going. And keep your elbows tucked in, Ron advised. And your eyes shut. And your eyes shut, said Mrs. Weasley. The suit the suit. Don't fidget, said Ron. Or you might 
and you might well fall out the wrong fireplace. But don't panic if you get out too early. Wait until you see Fred and George. Trying hard to bear to bear all this in his mind, Harry took a pinch of flu powder and walked to the edge of the fire. He took a deep breath and scattered the and scattered the powder into the flames, and stepped forward and stepped and walked to the edge of the fire. He took a deep breath, scattered the power into powder into the flames, and stepped forward. The fire felt like a warm breeze. He opened his mouth and immediately swallowed a lot of hot ash. Diagon Alley, he coughed. It felt as though he was being sucked down a giant drain. He seemed to be spinning very fast. The roaring, the roaring in his ears was deafening. He tried to keep his eyes open, but the whirl of green flames made him feel sick. Something hard knocked his elbow, and he tucked it in tightly. Still spinning and spinning. Now, now, still spinning and spinning. Now it felt as though cold hands were slapping his face. Squinting through his glasses, he saw a blurred stream of fireplaces and snatched, glimpse, and snatched glimpses of the rooms beyond. His bacon sandwiches were churning inside him. He closed his eyes again, wish, wishing it would stop. And then he fell face forward onto cold, onto cold stone and felt the bridge of his glasses snap. Dizzy and bruised, covered in soot, he got gingerly to his feet holding his broken glasses up to his eye. He was quite alone, but where was he? But where he was, he had no idea. But where he was, he had no idea. All he could tell was that he was standing in a stone fireplace of what looked like a large, dimly lit wizard shop, but nothing in here was ever likely to be on Hogwarts school list. A glass case nearby held a withered hand on a cushion, a blood-stained pack of cards, and a staring glass eye. Evil-looking masks stared down from the walls, and an assortment of human bones lay upon the counter, and rusty, spiked instruments hung from the ceiling. Even worse, the dark, narrow street. Harry could see the through the dusty shop window see through the dusty shop window was definitely not Diagon Alley. Even worse, the dark narrow street Harry could see through the dusty shop window was definitely not Diagon Alley. The sooner he got out of here, the better. No still stinging where it had hit the hearth where it had hit the hearth I think that three times fast. Harry made his way swiftly and silently to- towards the door. But, f- but before he got halfway toward it, two people appeared on the other side of the glass. And one of them was the very last person Harry wanted to meet when he was lost. Covered in soot, when Her- was the very last person Harry wanted to meet when he was lost, covered in soot, and wearing broken glasses. Draco Malfoy. Harry looked quickly around and spotted a large black cabinet to his left. He shot inside it and pulled the doors closed, leaving a small crack to peer through. Seconds later, a a bell clanged, and Malfoy stepped into the shop. The man who followed could only be Draco's father. He had the same pale, pointed face and identical cold, gray eyes. Mr. Malfoy crossed the shop, looking lazily at the items on display, and rang the bell on the counter before turning to his son and saying, Touch nothing, Draco. Malfoy, who had reached for the glass eye, said, I thought you were going to buy me a present. I said I would buy you racing girls, said his father, drumming his fingers on the counter. What's that? What? What's the good of that? What's the good of that? I'm not on the, if I'm not on the house team, said Malfoy, looking sulky and bad-tempered, looking sulky and bad-tempered. 
Harry Potter's got a Nimbus two thousand got a Nimbus two thousand last year. Special permission from Dumbledore so he could play so he could play for Gryffindor. He's not even that good. It's just because he's famous. Famous for having a stupid scar on his forehead. Mr. Malfoy bent down to examine the shelf full of scars. Skulls. Everyone thinks he's so smart. Wonderful Potter with a scar and his broomstick. You've told you have told me this at least a dozen times already, said Mr. Malfoy with with a with a quelling look at his son with a quelling look at his son. And I would remind you that it is not that it is not prudent to appear to appear less than fond of Harry Potter. Not when most of our kind regard him as the hero who made the dark world disappear. Ah, Mr. Borgen. A stupid man had appeared behind the counter, smoothing his greasy hair back from his face. Mr. Malfoy, what a pleasure to see you again, said Mr. Borgen, his voice oily as his hair. Delighted to young Master Malfoy, too. Charmed. How may I be of assistance? I must show you just in... I must show you. Just in today. And very reasonably priced. I'm not buying today, Mr. Borgen. Just selling, said Mr. Malfoy. Selling. The smile had faded slightly from Mr. Morgan's face. You've heard, of course, that, that the Ministry is conducting more raids, said Mr. Malfoy, taking a roll of parchment from his inside pocket and unraveling it for Mr. Borgen to read. I have a few, uh, items at home that might embarrass me if the Ministry were to call. Mr. Borgen fixed a pair, Mr. Borgen fixed a pair of pince-nez pince-nez on his nose and looked down at the list. The ministry wouldn't presume to trouble you, sir, surely. Mr. Malfoy's lip curled. I have not yet, I have not been visited yet. The name Malfoy still commands a certain respect, yet the ministry grows even more meddlesome. There are rumors about a new Muggle Protection Act. No doubt that flea Bitten, muggle-loving fool Arthur Weasley is behind it. Harry felt a hot surge of anger. As you and as you see, certain of these possessions might might make it. Wait. And as you see, certain of these poisons might might make it appear. I understand, sir, of course, said Mr. Borgen. Let me see. Can I have that? Interrupted Draco, pointing at a withered hand on its cushion. Ah, the hand of glory, said Mr. Borgen, abandoning Mr. Malfoy's list and scurrying over to Draco. Insert a candle and it gives you, and it gives light only to the holder. Best friend of thieves and plunderers. Your son has fine taste, sir. I hope my son will will amount more than a thief for a plunder, Mr. Borg. I hope my son will amount to more than a thief or a plunderer. Than a thief or a plunderer, Borgen, said Malfoy, cool, coldly. And Mr. Borgen quickly said, No offense, no offense, sir, no offense meant. The office grades don't pick up, said Mr. Malfoy, more, more coldly still. That may indeed be all what he, that may indeed be all he is fit for. It's not my fault, retorted Draco. The teachers, the teachers all have favorites. That Hermione Granger. I would have thought you'd be ashamed that girl of no wizard family beat you at in every exam, 
snapped Mr. Malfoy. Ha, said Harry under his breath, pleased to see Draco looking both abashed and angry. It's all the same. It's all the, it's the same all over. <sighs> said Mr. Morgan in his oily, in his oily voice. Wizard blood is count, wizard blood is counting for less everywhere. Not with me, sir. Not with me, said Mr. Malfoy, his long nostrils flaring. No, sir, nor with me. No, sir, nor with me, sir. Said Mr. Borgen, in a, with a deep bow. In that case, in that case, we can return to my list, said Mr. Malfoy shortly. I am in something of a hurry, Borgen. I have important business elsewhere today. They started to haggle. Harry watched nervously as Draco drew nearer and nearer to his hiding place, examining the objects for sale. Draco paused to examine a long coil of a long coil of hangman's rope and read and to read smirking the card propped on a magnificent necklace of opals. Caution do not touch cursed has claimed the lives of 19 Muggle owner, owners to date. Draco turned away and saw the cabinet right in front of him. Saw the cabinet right in front of him. He walked forward. He stretched his hand for the handle. He stretched his hand for the handle. Done, said Mr. Malfoy at the counter. Come, Draco. Harry wiped his forehead on his sleeves on his sleeve as Draco Malfoy turned away. Good day to you, Mr. Borgen, and I, and I expect and I expect you at the manor tomorrow to pick to, to pick up the goods. The moment the door had closed, Mr. Borgen dropped his oily manner. Good day yourself, Mr. Malfoy. And if all the t stories are true, you haven't sold me half of what's hidden in your manor. Muttering darkly, Mr. Borgen disappeared into a <coughs> um, into a back room. Harry waited for a minute in case in case he came back. Then, quietly as he could, slipped out of the cabinet, past the glass cases, and out of the shop door. Clutching his broken glasses to his face, Harry stared around. He emerged <coughs> into a dingy alleyway that seemed that seemed to be made up of shops devoted to dark art. The only uh, the one he had just left, Borgen and Burks, looked like the largest. But opposite but opposite was a nasty window display of shrunken heads and two and two doors and two doors down a large cage with live with a live <clears throat> a large cage was alive with gigantic black spiders. Two shabby looking wizards were watching him from from the shadow of a doorway, muttering to each other, feeling jumpy. Harry set off, trying to hold his glasses glasses on straight and hoping and hoping against hope. He'd be able to find a way out of here. An old wooden street sign hanging over in the shop selling poisonous candles told him he was in Nocturne Alley. This didn't help, as Harry had never heard of such a place. He supposed he hadn't spoken clearly enough through his mouthful of ashes. Back at the Weasley's fire. Trying to stay calm, he wondered what to do. Not lost, are you, my dear? Said a voice in his ear, making him jump. An aged witch stood in front of him, holding a tray of holding a tray of what looked horribly like whole human fingernails. She leered at him, showing mossy teeth. Harry backed away. I'm fine, nice, he said. I'm just Harry. What do you think you're doing down here?
Harry's heart leapt. So did the wit so did the witch. A load of fingernails cascaded down over her feet, and she cursed as as the massive form of Hagrid, the Hogwarts gamekeeper, came striding towards them. Be- came striding towards them, beetle black eyes flashing over his great bristling beard. Hagrid, Harry croaked in relief. I was lost. Flu powder. Hagrid seized Harry by the scruff of the neck and pulled him away from the witch, knocking the tray right out of her hand. Her shrieks followed them all the way along the twisting alleyway, out out into bright sunlight. Harry saw a familiar snow-white marble building in the distance. Green dark banks. Hagrid steered him right into Diagon Alley. You're a mess, said Hagrid gruffly, brushing suit off Harry forcefully. He nearly knocked him into a barrel of dragon dung outside the apothecary. Spoken wrong along around Nocturne Alley. I don't I don't know. Dodgy place, Harry. Don't want no one to see you down there. I realize that, said Harry, ducking his head and made a brush up made to brush him off again. I told you I was lost. What were you doing down there anyway? I was looking for flesh-eaten slug repellent, growled Hagrid, and ruining the school cabbages. You're not on your own? I'm staying with the Weasleys, but we got separated, said Harry explained. I've got to find them. They set off together down the street. How come you never wrote back to me, said Hagrid as... Harry jogged alongside them. He had to take three steps every stride of Hagrid's enormous boots. Harry explained all about Dobby and the Dursleys. Lousy muggles, growled Hagrid. I'd have known. Harry! Harry, over here! Harry looked up and saw Hermione Granger standing on top of the white flight of steps to Green Goth. She ran down to meet them, her bushy brown hair flying behind her. What's happened to your glasses? Hello, Hagrid. Hello, Hagrid. Oh, it's wonderful to see you two again. Are you coming into Gringotts, Harry? As soon as I find the Weasleys, said Harry. You don't have to wait. You don't have long to wait, said Hagrid with a grin. Harry and Hermione looked around, sprinting sprinting up the crowded street where Ron, Fred, George, Percy, and Mr. Weasley. Harry, Mr. Weasley panted. We hoped you'd only gone you'd only gone one great too far. He mopped his glistening bald patch. Molly's frantic. She's coming now. Why'd you come out? Ron asked. Nocturne Alley, said Hagrid. Excellent, said Fred and George together. We've never been allowed in, said Ron enviously. I should ready. I should, re- I should ruddy well think not, growled, ha- growled Hagrid. Mrs. Weasley now came galloping into view, her handbag swinging wildly in one hand. Ginny was clinging onto the other. Oh, Harry! Oh, Harry! Oh! My dear, you could have been anywhere! Gasping for breath, she pulled large clo- pulled a large clothes brush out of her bag and began sweeping off the soot that Hagrid hadn't managed to beat away. Mr. Weasley took Harry's glasses and gave them a tap of his wand and returned them to good as new. Well, gotta be off, said Hagrid, who was having, who was having his hand wrung by Mrs. Weasley. Nocturne Alley, if you hadn't found him, Hagrid. See, see you're at Hogwarts, and he strode away, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the packed street. Guess who I saw on Borgen and Burke? Harry asked Ron, Ron and Hermione as they climbed the green dot steps. Malfoy and his father. Did Lucius Malfoy buy anything? Said Mr. Weasley sharply behind them. Said Mr. Weasley sharply behind them. No, he was selling. So he's worried. Said Mr. Weasley with a grin of sat- with a grin with a grim satisfaction.
Oh, I'd love to get Lucius Malfoy for something. You be careful, you be careful, Arthur, said Mrs. Weasley, sharply as they were bowed into the bank by a goblin at the door. That family's trouble. Don't go biting off more than you can chew. So you don't think I'm a match for Lucius Malfoy, said Mr. Weasley, indignantly. But he was distracted. Oh, but he was distracted. Almost at once. At once, by the sight of Hermione's parents. They were standing nervously at the counter that ran all along the great marble hall, waiting for Hermione to introduce them. But your muggles, said Mr. Weasley delightedly. We must have a drink. What have you got there? Oh, you're changing muggle. Oh, you're changing muggle money. M Molly, look. He pointed excitedly at the ten pound notes in Mr. Granger's hand. Meet you back here. Harry said to Hermione. Ron said to Hermione as the Weasleys and Harry were led off to their underground. As the Weasleys and Harry were led off to their underground vaults by another green goth goblin. The vaults were reached by means of small goblin-driven carts that sped along miniature tracks. That sped along miniature train tracks through the bank's underground tunnels. Harry enjoyed the breakneck journey down the Weasley's vault, down to the Weasley's vault, but dreadful, far worse than he had, but felt dreadful, far worse than he had in Nocturne Alley when it, when it was opened. There was a very small pile of silver sickles inside, and just one gold galleon. Mrs. Weasley's vault, felt, felt, Fall right into the corners before sweeping the whole lot into her bag. Harry felt even worse when they reached his vault. He tried to block the contents from view as he hastily shoved handfuls of coins into a leather bag. Back outside the marble steps, they were they all separated. Percy muttered vaguely about needing a new quill. Fred and George had spotted their friend from Hogwarts, Lee Jordan. Mrs. Weasley and Jenny were going to a second-hand robe shop. Mr. Weasley was insisting on taking the Grangers off to the Leaky Cauldron for a drink. We will all meet at Flourish and Blots in an hour to buy your school books, said Mrs. Weasley, setting off, setting off with Jenny. And not one step down Nocturne Alley, she said. She shouted, as the twins retreated. As the twins retreating back, Harry, Ron, and Hermione strolled off along the winding cobbled street. The bag of gold, silver, and bronze jangling cheerfully in Harry's pocket, was clamoring to be spent. So he bought three large strawberry and peanut butter ice creams which they slurped happily as they wandered up as they wandered up the alley, examining the fascinating shop as they examined the fascinating fascinating shop windows. Ron gazed lovingly at the full set of Chubby Cannon's robes and the windows of quality quidditch supplies until Hermione dragged them off to buy ink and parchment next door. In the in the gamble of Jake's Wizarding Joke Shop, they met Fred, George, and Lee Jordan, who were stocking up on Dr. Filibuster's fabulous wet start, wet start, no heat fireworks, and a tiny junk shop full of broken wands, lopsided brass scales, and old cloaks covered in potion, in potion stains. They found Percy deeply immersed in a boring book called Prefix He Gained Power. A study of Hogwarts prefects and their later careers, Ron read aloud on the back of the cover. That sounds fascinating. Go away, Percy snapped. Of course, he's very ambitious, Percy. He's got, he's got it all planned out. He wants to be Minister of Magic. 
Ron told Harry and Hermione in an undertone as they left Percy to it. About an hour later, they headed for Flourish, for Flourish and Blotts. They were by no means... They were by no means the only ones making their way through the bookshop. As they approached it, they saw their surprise. They saw, to their surprise, a large crowd jostling outside doors trying to get in. The reason for this was proclaimed by a large banner stretched across the upper windows. Gilderoy Lockhart will be signing copies of his autobiography, Magical Me, today at 12.30 p.m. to 4.30 p.m. We can actually meet him? Hermione squeaked. I mean, he's, he's written almost a whole book list. The crowd seemed to be made, made up mostly of witches around Mrs. Weasley's age. A harassed-looking wizard stu- stood at the jo- door, saying calmly, saying, Calmly, please, ladies. Don't push there. Mind the books now. Harry, Ron, and Hermione squeezed inside. A long line wound, wound right to the back of the shop, where Gilderoy Lockhart was signing his book. They each grabbed a copy of the standard book of spells, grade two, and sneaked up the line to where the rest of the Weasleys were standing with Mr. and Mrs. Granger. Oh. Oh, good, there you are. Oh, there you are, good, said Mrs. Weasley. She sounded breathless, but kept patting her hair. We'll be able to see him in a minute. Gilderoy Lockhart came slowly into view. Seated at a table, surrounded by large pictures of his own face, all winking and flashing dazzling, flashing dazzling white teeth at the crowd. The real Lockhart was wearing robes of forget-me-not blue that exactly matched his eyes. His pointed wizard's hat was set at a jaunty angle on his wavy hair. A short, irritable-looking man was dancing around taking photographs with a large black camera that that emitted that emitted puffs of purple smoke with every blinding flash. Out of the way there, he snarled at Ron, moving back to get a better shot. This is for the Daily Prophet. Good deal, said Ron, rubbing his foot where the photograph where the photographer had stepped on it. Gilderoy Lockhart heard him. He looked up. He saw Ron. He saw Ron. And then he saw Harry. He stared. And then he leapt to his feet. And positively shouted. It can't be. Harry Potter. The, cr- the crowd parted. Whispering excitedly. Lockhart dived forward. Seized Harry's arm. And pulled him to the front. The crowd burst into applause. Harry's face burned as Lockhart shook his hand for shook his hand for the photographer, who was clicking away madly, warping thick smoke over the Weasleys. Nice big smile, Harry, said Lockhart, through his own gleaming teeth. Together you and I are worth the front page. When he finally let go of Harry's hand, Harry could barely feel his fingers. He tried to sidle back over to the Weasleys, but Lockhart threw an arm around his shoulders and clamped him tightly to his side. Ladies and gentlemen, he said loudly, waving for quiet. What an extraordinary moment this this is. A perfect moment for me to make a little announcement. I've been sitting I've been sitting on for some for a little announcement. I've been sitting on for some time. When young, when young Harry here stepped into Flourish and Blots today, he only wanted to buy my autobiography, which I, sh- which I shall be happy to present him now, free of charge. The crowd applauded, hit, applauded again. He had no idea, Lockhart continued, giving Harry a little shake that made his glasses slip off the end of his nose. That he would shortly be getting much, much more than my book, Magical Me. He and his schoolmates, in fact, will be getting the real Magical Me. 
Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I have the great pleasure and pride of announcing that this September, I will be taking up the post of Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. The crowd cheered and clapped as Harry found himself being presented with him, with the entire works of Gilderoy Lockhart. Staggering slightly under the weight, he managed to make his way out of the limelight on to the edge of the room, where Ginny was standing next to her new cauldron. You can have these, Harry mumbled to her, dipping the books into her into the cauldron. I'll buy my own. But you loved that, didn't you, Potter? Said a voice Harry had no trouble recognizing. He straightened up and found himself face to face with Draco Malfoy, who was wearing his usual sneer. Famous Harry Potter, said Malfoy. Can't even go to a bookshop without making the front page. Leave him alone. He w- he didn't want all that, said Ginny. It was the first time she had ever spoken in front of Harry. She was glaring at Malfoy. Potter, you've got yourself a girlfriend, drawled Malfoy. Ginny went scarlet as Ron and Hermione fought their way over, both clutching stacks of Lockhart's books. Oh, it's you, said Ron, looking at Malfoy as though he were something unpleasant on the sole of his shoe. I bet you're surprised to see Harry here, huh? Not as, not as surprised as I am to see you in a shop weekly, retorted Malfoy. I suppose your parents will go hungry for a month to pay for all those. Ron went as red as Jenny. He dropped his books into the cauldron t- into the cauldron too, and started towards Malfoy, but Harry and Hermione grabbed the back of his jacket. Ron, Mr. Weasley stri- said Mr. Weasley struggling struggling over with Fred and George. What are you doing? Too crowded in here. Let's go outside. Well, 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 Arthur Weasley. It was Mr. Malfoy. He stood with his hand on Draco's shoulder, sneering just in just the same way. Lucius, said Mr. Weasley, nodding coldly. Busy time with the ministry, I hear, said Mr. Malfoy. All those raids. I hope they're paying you overtime. He reached into Jenny's cauldron and examined from the mid-glossy of Lockhart's books a very odd battered copy of Beginner's Guide to Transfiguration. And here, he reached into Ginny's cauldron and extracted from amid the glossy books a very glossy Lockhart's amid the glossy Lockhart's books. He took a very old, battered, very battered copy of Beginner's Guide to Transfiguration. Obviously not, Mr. Malfoy said. Dear me, what's the use of being of being a disgrace to the name of the wizard if they don't even pay you well for it? Mr. Weasley flushed darker than either Ron or Jim. We have a very a very different idea of who's disgraced of what a disgrace the name of wizard Malfoy, he said. Clearly. Said Mr. Malfoy, his pale eyes. Mr. and Mrs. Granger, who are watching apprehensively, the company, the company you keep, Weasley, the company you keep, Weasley, and I thought your family could think, could think no lower. There was a thud of metal as Jenny's cauldron went flying. Mr. Weasley had thrown himself at Mr. Malfoy, knocking him backward into a bookshelf. Dozens of heavy spell books came thundering down on their heads, and with a yell of Get him, Dad! From Fred and George, Mrs. Weasley was shrieking. No, Arthur, no! No, Arthur, no! The crowd stampeded backward, knocking more shells over. Gentlemen, please, please! cried the assistant, and then, louder than than them all. Break it up there, gents, break it up. 
Hagrid was wading towards them through the sea of books. In an instant, he had pulled Mr. Weasley and Mr. Malfoy apart. Mr. Weasley had a cut lip, and Mr. Malfoy had been hit in the eye. By, by an encyclopedia of toadstools, he was, holding, he was still holding Ginny's old transfiguration book. He thrust it at her, his eyes glittering with malice. Here, girl, take this book. It's the best your father can give you. Pulling himself out of Hagrid's grip, he beckoned to Draco, and they swept from the shop. You should have you should have ignored him, Arthur, said Hagrid, almost looking lifting Mr. Weasley off his feet as he straightened his robe. Rotten to the core of the whole family. Everyone knows that. Now no Malfoy worth listening to. Bad blood, that's what it is. Come on now, let's get out of here. The assistant looked as though he wanted to stop him from leaving, but he barely came up to Hagrid's waist and seemed to think better of it. They hurried just up the street, the Granger shaking with fright, and Mrs. Weasley beside herself with fury. A fine example to set for your children, brawling in public. What Gilderoy Lockhart must have thought. He was pleased, said Fred. Didn't you hear him as we were leaving? He asked if he asked that bloke from the Daily Prophet if he'd be able to work the fight into his report. He said it he said it he said it, it was all publicity. But there was a but it was a subdued group that headed back to the fireside in the leaky cauldron where Harry and the Re- Weasleys and all their shopping could but where the but it was a subdued group that headed back to the fireside and leaky cauldron, where Harry, the Weasleys, and all their shopping would be traveling back to the burrow using flu powder. They said goodbye to the green to the Grangers, who were leaving the pub for a mobile street on the other side. Mr. Weasley started to, to ask to ask them how bus stops were. But they stopped quick. But stopped quickly at the look of Mrs. Weasley's face. Harry took off his glasses and put them safely into his pocket, before helping himself to flu powder. It definitely wasn't his favorite way to travel. This has been the fourth episode of the second season for a very Harry podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Bye-bye.